The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. Your host is Jessica Pirro. In today's program, we will provide awareness and education on various types of crises, the impact they have on one's well-being, and provide help to empower hope for you or someone you love. This program will help you understand various types of crisis situations by hearing from experts in the crisis response field, as well as those with lived experience through a difficult time. Now, here's Jessica Pirro. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. I am your host, Jessica Pirro, and I want to thank you so much for tuning into our show today. As we begin our discussion, and if you have any questions during the show, you can email me at jpirrovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That is j-p-i-r-r-o voiceamerica at gmail.com. Also today, we'll be taking calls from our listeners, so if you have any questions for our guests during the show, please feel free to call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. And we would love to hear from our listeners, so please consider sending us an email or, or giving us a call today. We are live from Crisis Services in Buffalo, New York. We are our community's 24-hour crisis center. We are the safety net for our area as a crisis center, providing support for all types of crisis situations, and I proudly serve as the CEO. And the topics of this show really gives you a a look into the day in the life of crisis centers across the country, where crisis first responders are always ready to provide support, intervention, and hope during a difficult time. If you're interested in learning more about our organization and our mission, or maybe if you want to donate to continue to help support our organization services, please visit our website at www.crisisservices.org. The focus of today's discussion and the title of our show is Breakdowns and Breakthroughs, the Onset of Schizophrenia. And I want to welcome my guest today, uh, Jill Dunstan, who is joining us. So let me tell you a little bit about Jill before we get into our discussion. Jill received her bachelor's in psychology from Duville College and her master's from Medias uh, College's mental health counseling program. She's a licensed chemical dependency counselor and a licensed mental health counselor. Ms. Dunstan has worked in residential facilities for the mentally ill, including outpatient and inpatient chemical dependency and mental health programs. In 2010, she started at Lakeshore Behavioral Health in the PROS program, focusing on rehabilitation goals for those suffering from severe and persistent mental illness. Jill is now the program director of OnTrack, a new cutting-edge, evidence-based, federally funded treatment program supported by the New York State Office of Mental Health. The OnTrack program serves young adults ages 16 to 30 years old who are experiencing a first episode 
psychosis, providing outpatient therapy interventions, including family support, psychiatry, nursing, substance abuse, and employment and education assistance. And we'll be talking a lot about the OnTrack program a little bit uh, later on in the show. So I want to thank Jill for, for joining us today and helping us to learn and understand better about schizophrenia. So welcome to the show today, Jill. Thank you. Um, so right off the bat, why don't we start off with sharing with our listeners exactly what is schizophrenia? Sure. Schizophrenia, I like to describe it as a long-term mental uh, disorder. It is something that affects people's thoughts, their emotions, and their behaviors. These thoughts, emotions, and behaviors lead to faulty perceptions and really inappropriate actions and maybe bizarre actions or feelings. Uh, A simple description of that could be changes in one's thoughts, feelings, and perceptions. I wanted to give the listeners examples of what this could look like. What does schizophrenia look like? Um, it is very different for the people that we serve and people suffering from this illness. Uh, schizophrenia could be a middle-aged man walking the streets of New York. He could be walking the streets of New York with foil under his hat because he believes that the Martians are, uh, are really thinking about his uh, thoughts and can read his mind. It could be a college student sitting in her classroom and feeling as if she's getting special messages from God that are telling her maybe she's vile or disgusting. It could be your local grocery store bagger that you try to have a conversation with and he just doesn't seem to answer you back. Uh, Maybe he answers with one or two word answers and he he simply can't connect with others. So with giving you those three examples, schizophrenia really looks different for everybody. Um, And we're learning that uh, throughout our research with the OnTrack program that I'm a part of. Um, I like to also think of schizophrenia as either additions to one's personality, we call those positive symptoms, or kind of deletions of of one's personality, things that take away from your personality. We call those negative symptoms. Um, The things that people notice most is that you you just seem different than you were prior to um, or before the onset of of the illness started. So kind of marked differences in one's personality uh, that has to do with changes in their perceptions, their thoughts, and their feelings. Okay. So I think what's important as we talk about schizophrenia is, is for our listeners to have a good sense of what are some signs and symptoms to to look for. So maybe we can kind of walk through the different types of signs and symptoms. So I know one of them is uh, hallucinations. So Mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about what you would see with that? Yes. Hallucinations um, sometimes come in the form of hearing voices. You will hear that as kind of a common problem or uh, symptom. Uh, The voices essentially uh, come and feel as if the the mind is playing tricks on them. Uh, We have often heard examples of feeling like God was sending messages in the form of a voice. I have heard people talk about angels, spirits, um, maybe messages that come through the form of a loved one that has passed away or Possibly strangers, people on the street that are sending messages to them that they can that come um, sometimes in the form of whispering or mumbling that the person can't quite make out. Um, also, people have described it as their voices and their hallucinations coming as clear as you know mm. Jessica and I are talking today. Um, that the voices are understandable and it comes in conversation form. That's a very common symptom. Some other uh, symptoms include delusions um, and disorganized speech. Can you maybe talk a little bit about, again, what are, what are things, I think the things that people would observe to try to understand that this potentially could be schizophrenia? Sure. 
Delusions are false beliefs, essentially things that uh, people without schizophrenia uh, do not have. Sometimes false beliefs or delusions come um, as beliefs about things that you know others don't don't experience. We have heard common things um, and themes in delusions, sometimes having to do with the CIA or the police, feeling as if the police are fabricating stories about them. Some of the delusions that we have heard most recently are feeling that others have special skills or feel that they can have mind reading abilities. You can read their mind, they can read your mind. Uh, Feeling as if that they can predict the future and that they have that power to do so. Uh, disorganized speech um, mainly is one of the symptoms that people and parents and loved ones notice first uh, because they previously could have a conversation without problem and you know newly as symptoms emerge they feel as if they can't have conversations their thoughts are maybe all over the place we'll hear parents describe um, we call that tangential thinking but they just can't seem to stay on track with a conversation and this really impairs their ability to communicate Um, I know, you know, it's interesting when you look at the different signs and symptoms, there's a lot of confusion around what the person is either hearing or think that they're hearing or their ability to communicate is is disorganized. So other symptoms include that extremely confused, disorganized, or start to withdraw in their behavior. Can you talk a little bit about um, that as a symptom? What types of things you see with somebody as they start to withdraw? Sure. The things um, that people do when they start to withdrawal are possibly not functioning in school as they would have before, maybe not showing up to work regularly, uh, maybe having a difficult time just uh, taking care of their personal hygiene or taking care of the things that they need to do at their house. Maybe they were a social person and now they're withdrawing from those family members. Uh, our families in our program have specifically told us that these are the signs and symptoms that they notice, um, you know, more so uh, first. Um, and some of the other symptoms that come about as warning signs are uh, some negative symptoms. Um, and those are things that take away from somebody's personality. So maybe they can't express emotion the way that they did before. They seem flat um, or empty. Uh, people have talked about um, when you talk with them, they don't offer a lot of information. They just can't seem to uh, have spontaneity in their conversation. Um, also, a, a large one for, for most individuals at early onset is they are just not motivated anymore to do really much of anything. Um, So they spend a lot of time alone, often just sitting um, and staring sometimes or just sitting in rooms, um, really isolated, uh, which usually prompts parents and family to be concerned. Right, right. The thing uh, with some of the the later symptoms that I described is that this often looks and sounds like depression. it can mimic depressive symptoms. Uh, and the age group that for onset is ages 16, you know, 17, 18. So sometimes people and family members believe that these things are a phase or depression or transition issues. Um, so it can be very difficult to reach out to others if you're not knowing what you're seeing. And I think it's hard for parents, especially for young, with their young adults, that it's deciding or trying to figure out, is it a developmental issue that they're dealing with or is it potentially a, an onset of a, a mental illness? So I think it's really important to continually be aware of what potentially the signs and symptoms are and kind of exploring those further with your loved one. How common is schizophrenia? 
Right now, the current research is saying about 1% of the population has schizophrenia, meaning one out of 100 people could be affected by this illness. Um, it is not considered a common mental disorder, um, although it seems to be very common, you know, in, in this area. Uh, and it does not affect any specific socioeconomic status. Um, it really affects people equally, um, regardless of many different factors that otherwise could be specified. Okay, okay. Now, um, I know in looking and kind of preparing for the show today, there's a lot of information about schizophrenia, and there was a piece that they were talking about subtype, subtypes of schizophrenia. And I know I've heard these different types of, of uh, characterizations of schizophrenia in our work. So could we walk through those? Because I think that would be helpful for listeners to kind of know the words that are associated to the diagnosis around schizophrenia. Sure. So some of the subtypes of schizophrenia um, are classified um, differently. So uh, you will hear something called paranoid schizophrenia. Generally, these individuals have extreme suspicion. They feel that um, people are out to get them or are about to get them. So they're constantly living in a state of fear that others around them are going to hurt them. Um, Often they could experience grandiosity, which is really kind of a fancy way of of saying that people feel that they are better or different or have different, maybe even godlike powers or feel as if they are great in a specific area. Um, so that could be uh, described as kind of paranoid schizophrenia. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Um, now, what are some of the risk factors for schizophrenia? Some of the questions that we ask um, our individuals um, or if you're doing assessment for individuals regarding this disorder, you certainly want to ask questions regarding if there is schizophrenia in the family. That seems to be an indicated risk factor if a blood relative or um, somebody, you know, related to you has schizophrenia. Uh, sometimes we've noticed themes in people's thinking, we call it prodromal, but themes in people's thinking that has to do with unusual thoughts maybe prior to um, the illness, uh, paranoid or specific, uh, suspicious ways of thinking. Um, maybe there's some social impairments. Maybe you notice your loved one is um, just not as social as you would imagine kids would be in their age group and doing things that kids would do in that age group. Um, so maybe there's some social impairments, just can't seem to connect with other people um, and possibly substance abuse. Substance abuse and schizophrenia seem to be highly correlated. Uh, most of the individuals, in my experience, have experimented with different drugs, uh, different substances that do impact their mood. Uh, we often don't know which causes what. Are people mm-hmm. self-medicating mm-hmm. symptoms that were already present, uh, so they're using as a coping strategy, mm-hmm. or are they, you know, simply uh, using and it has created uh, some symptoms for them? So, kind interesting. Of chicken before the egg. Right, right. <laughs> trying to figure out which maybe has come first. Sure. Um, I know that um, you know we. We touched on a little bit in, in the, your earlier discussion, but what are the ages, uh, at what age do the symptoms of schizophrenia really start to appear? Mm-hmm. I think that's important for, for us to be aware of. Symptoms can start as early as 16 years old. Um, it, there is some new research saying that it can be diagnosed in childhood. For the most part, the largest age group is ages 16 to 30. Men tend to experience symptoms earlier than women, um, and schizophrenia does affect women and men equally. 
Although in our program at OnTrack at Lakeshore, uh, we have only four women in our program and we have an enrollment of 28. So the rest are, are male individuals oh, okay. with, with schizophrenia or aversion. Mm-hmm. So um, what are some steps that is, are taken to help diagnose schizophrenia? Mm-hmm. What, what, what does that look like? I think some steps that um, if somebody were to present to your office, um, you know, or, you know, you're noticing a loved one or a family member that could be experiencing some of these symptoms is certainly reaching out to a mental health provider. It could be uh, a psychiatrist that could help you in diagnosing um, the illness. Uh, Certainly any mental health provider can help. I think early intervention, and we'll talk a little bit about that later, is really important. The earlier you treat and notice these symptoms, usually the better outcomes. Uh, so certainly just, yeah, managing with, uh, you know, taking your, your loved one to um, a mental health provider or a psychiatrist to really identify if this is in fact schizophrenic. Right, process. right. And, and, and help to, to kind of ask the questions and really evaluate all those risk factors you talked about, as well as potentially genetics that mm-hmm. seem to be a part of this as well. So I think that's important. Um, so, you know, is there any other types of signs or symptoms um, that you think would be important to highlight um, before we start to head into break here that would help people to understand, um, you know, if their loved one is experiencing schizophrenia? I think the main warning signs are really to watch um, the the social functioning of the individual, how they're doing at school, how they're functioning at their employment. Those are things that are really concrete and observable. So if you notice a change in somebody that, you know, a, a child or, or a family member, those are things that usually people can observe pretty clearly. And you do not have to be a mental health professional to notice those things. Mm-hmm. They're pretty concrete. You can understand them. Um, and generally that helps us as providers understand when this could have started. Okay, okay. And I think it's important as, as um, I've been doing the show over the last, this is the sixth week now, which is which is wonderful, a wonderful experience. You know, the goal of this show is really not only to provide information, but awareness and really a discussion about various types of crisis situations, mental health, suicide, uh, domestic violence we've touched on. So really, Really, the goal of this show is really to not only provide you with information, but also concrete resources. So as we head into break, I just want to share with you a few websites um, that are very helpful uh, to find more information about the topic we're talking about today. There's the National Alliance on Mental Illness, which is www.nami.org. That's www.nami.org. And also to... find providers in your community. Uh, There's a website, mentalhealth.gov, which is through the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and it's a treatment locator that is searchable by zip code that you can find local resources, um, either for mental health or substance abuse, which I think, as we talk about this today, these sometimes can have a co-occurring disorder, if you will, between the mental health and the substance abuse. So it is important for us to make sure that um, our listeners are are taking away from uh, this conversation information that they can tap into to maybe help themselves or someone that they love. So again, those websites that uh, could be a great resource for you are uh, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, which is NAMI.org, and then the mentalhealth.gov, which again is a treatment locator that might be helpful for you or your family member that might be dealing with mental health or substance abuse. So uh, please stay tuned. You're listening to The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope.
life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black and Dari Samia. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. The root causes of disease can be better prevented and cured using an integration of modern medicine and holistic healing techniques. Become educated by tuning in to Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. Conventional medicine does have its place, but it should not be the only course of action. It's all about regenerating and healing our whole selves through better choices in lifestyle, foods, spiritual connection, and stress management. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with hosts Nancy Karala and Dr. Chandra Bali Ghosh. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and the founder and executive director of the C. diff Foundation. And Dr. Ghosh is the chairperson of research and development for the C. diff Foundation. Together with their guests, we'll explore infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments about the show. Please send an email to jpirrovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That's J-P-I-R-R-O, voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the journey. Here again is Jessica Pirro. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us today. My guest is Jill Dunstan, um, and we're talking about schizophrenia, and Jill provided such a great overview in our first segment about signs and symptoms, um, you know, the onset of schizophrenia, things to look for. Um, So we're really excited to be able to share this information with you today that might be helpful for you or someone that you love um, that you might be seeing these signs and symptoms in. But we do want to remind you that if you do have any questions for us during the show, to please email us uh, at jpirrovoiceamerica at gmail.com. Or you could call us today if you have any questions, and you can reach us toll-free at 1-866-472-5792. So, Jill, to start off the discussion for for this segment, um, I think a question I'd like to dive into a little deeper is... um, dealing with mental illness and violence and we hear that a lot if it's in the media or just the general perception of those with mental illness are individuals with schizophrenia violent 
No. <laughs> um, individuals with schizophrenia are not any more violent than anyone else could be that would commit a crime. Often uh, the media portrayal uh, often will mention a person's diagnosis um, and they will say, you know, this individual, you know, maybe robbed a bank and he had schizophrenia. So they often mention uh, the person's diagnosis and the crime. So for the community, the two seem connected and often they're not connected at all. Um, and really, you know, people who commit crimes could not have a mental illness. Um, so it seems as if uh, it creates a lot of stigma for individuals with mental illness and fear often in the community, feeling that people with mental health problems or illnesses um, are violent or could hurt you. Um, and naturally, people shy away from those individuals, which just creates that vicious cycle of, of um, stigma. For absolutely, sure. absolutely. And, you know, I know that we talked about that there there's um, sometimes delusions um, and hallucinations. So sometimes their behaviors might be as a result of those symptoms of the disease. So how to understand that, um, you know, those voices might be directing them to do something and how they may act out as a result of that. Um, but it is important to make sure that we're not stigmatizing those with mental illness as the ones that are always violent. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm glad that you kind of shared that, that information. Um, one thing that I want to touch on, and, you know, we've had a couple shows, we've talked about suicide, um, is the Suicide Prevention uh, Center here in Buffalo, New York, and crisis centers across the country. It's an issue we deal with um, on a daily basis. And I was interested as I was reading more and more about schizophrenia, the suicide risk with this particular diagnosis. So could we talk a little bit about why that is? Sure. Uh, the suicide risk with people with schizophrenia is about 1 to 10 people with schizophrenia attempt suicide. Um, the more I get to do this work and meet the individuals and the families that we work with, the more I learn that the suicide has to do with adjustment to the disability, adjustment to the differences in levels of functioning that were previous um, to current level of functioning. So they feel as if they lost a part of themselves or that they feel differently about themselves. Um, and so generally that does create, um, yeah, some suicidal risk and, and some difficulties. Uh, some other things that we have noticed in reference to, to suicide in people with schizophrenia are they often do hear command hallucinations. And command hallucinations sometimes come in uh, the version of voices uh, that are telling them to do things and do acts, acts uh, which does connect to the, the violence question we talked about earlier. If somebody is experiencing um, a voice saying that somebody is out to get them, uh, that can be a pretty fearful place to be. And certainly that uh, encourages or, or has people feel as if they have no way out, which does increase the risk of, of suicide. Uh, it can be pretty torturous to, to experience these voices. Others with schizophrenia will often talk about feeling as if they have special powers, like flying. So although the imminent risk isn't a suicidal risk, it's a risk for their life and their, their safety, right, uh, that right. they may be impulsive and they may not think about things um, clearly as, as a person without this disorder would. So uh, often acts uh, aren't intentionally suicidal, however, do create risk that need to be addressed and talked about very clearly with the individual and the family family. Um. 
Well, I think, and that's a, an important piece, the safety planning piece um, for individuals with schizophrenia, that if they are having those thoughts or expressing those those feelings mm-hmm. that they can fly or that, you know, they're untouchable, if mm-hmm. you will, that that the risk factor that that plays for their safety is, is really a critical piece that not only their providers would have to evaluate with them, but family members would have to kind of keep their eyes and ears open. And um, if they're starting to hear those types of comments or see those types of behavior. So it just the risk is, is higher because of their being impulsive as well as um, the potentials of them acting on the voices or the directions or commands that they, they have. So it is an important piece that I wanted to make sure we highlighted um, and really safety planning with anyone with any type of uh, condition, if it's, if it's mental health or just even suicide, is really important uh, for a family is to, to remember um, and support their loved one. And I just want to share with you, you know, we always, as we talk about anything around suicide, I always like to share the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. So if anyone is listening and knows of somebody that is having suicidal thoughts or um, you yourself are having some thoughts, to please reach out to the NSPL line. And their number is 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. And there's counselors available 24 hours a day to really support you. So why don't we um, step into talking about the various types of treatment options that there are for individuals with schizophrenia. Sure. Uh, The treatment options for an individual that has schizophrenia um, is generally um, uh, kind of unique to that person. Not everybody needs all of the components uh, of treatment, Uh, but I wanted to kind of list what is available to to people out there that could have a loved one or a a person that has schizophrenia, you know, involved in their life. Some treatment options are medication. Um, There are medications that are called antipsychotic medications that do seem to uh, manage or um, help decrease some of the positive symptoms that we spoke of earlier. So addressing the hallucinations specifically. Uh, And people will notice that medications do often help with the bizarre behavior and bizarre thinking and maybe the different perceptions. Other options are inpatient treatment. Um, this is usually if somebody if it can't keep themselves safe or you are concerned about their um, maybe suicidal or they do feel as if uh, their family can't manage their symptoms at home no longer. Uh, usually an inpatient option is a really great uh, 24-hour monitoring, mm-hmm. uh, which would allow uh, a professional to assess for symptoms and and start medication. So inpatient certainly um, can, can assist in the process process as treatment. Uh, There are day programs. Um, I had worked at Personalized Recovery Oriented Treatment or PROS uh, service, and this is a place where people who have uh, specific illnesses, uh, mental illnesses, can go and learn social skills and can learn uh, via group therapy and medication and individual counseling to help them achieve their goals. Um, And this is also a really great option for people who need to get that structure um, back into, you know, their, their lives. Another option, um, again, if if family members feel like they no longer can take care of or monitor or support the individual, there's residential facilities in the areas, uh, you know, in in our area specifically, uh, where they could be monitored by mental health staff maybe 24 hours a day or routine check-ins where they live with other people that have these experiences, uh, where they can learn skills to be as independent as possible and learn uh, the things that they 
they would like to, to uh, gain from, yeah, their, their lives mostly. Right. So kind of uh, dreams and hopes and, and they can really examine uh, those things really specifically in the residential facilities, help people be more independent. There's traditional outpatient therapy um, where uh, people would meet with an individual counselor or a therapist that could work on anything from coping skills, strategies, education to help them understand what is happening for them. What is psychosis? What is schizophrenia? What do you do with uh, the symptoms and how do you manage? Um, So individual counseling can be really helpful even if the uh, level of understanding of their illness is um, minimal. You can build on that in the individual counseling and provide people opportunities to um, understand what's happening for them. Another option, which is a very large piece of the on-track program, uh, but also available throughout the communities, um, is vocational training. The individuals that have schizophrenia often feel that they can't interact with other people at work, coworkers, maybe an employer. Uh, so their vocational experiences are different than somebody without this illness. So people often lose their jobs. Uh, they can't. They can't show up to work. They can't focus at work. They sometimes can't follow directions because they're getting all the stimuli from voices or from their delusions that they can't pay attention and and complete the task. So job training and job coaching can really help an individual succeed at work or even at school um, where, you know, maybe you're struggling in your classes or maybe you're struggling in uh, passing tests or focusing in your, um, you know, with with students or, or, or your peers. So vocational and employment and education specialists can often support the individual in in. Con- continuing school, continuing work, and that really is a large piece of someone's recovery. It's really interesting about the vocational piece because I think, as you've talked about, um, because of the types of symptoms and the the hallucinations, the voices, they have to almost be retrained on how to interact with others, maybe in a workplace, to manage those thoughts and those those feelings, but also be productive in in their job. So the struggle that they must have to deal with um, at work when they might be having uh, voices and then they're trying to do their job. I'm sure could be exhausting for for somebody with schizophrenia. So this type of support really could be very helpful to make sure that they are successful um, in their work or at school. Yes, uh, there are a lot of facilities too. Um, there is Access VR that provides sometimes support and, and funding um, for people to maintain work. So they get an, uh, almost like a counselor for employment uh, okay. where they can then receive the support on the job where an individual um, can join you in learning your job or learning um, the, the functions of employment um, and work with your employer to understand your illness so it becomes a supportive environment we know that people who are working feel better about themselves Mm -hmm. they have higher Mm -hmm. self-esteem they are less at risk for suicide they feel connected to those in the community and around them so employment has become a huge push um, to working with these individuals um, really ensuring that they have some vocational success and feel um, that they can can do any job really that they want Um, we often have a philosophy of kind of zero um, exclusion meaning anybody can work regardless of somebody's um, illness or specifically in this case schizophrenia we feel people can work. 
That's great. That's great. So, what are some of the challenges, though, in treatment? Um, what do you What are you seeing that um, in the work that you're doing and the clients that you're serving? What are some of the challenges in treatment for schizophrenia? I think some of the largest challenges in working with this age group is is uh, just not understanding uh, mental illness, um, not understanding what treatment is. Um, so really, just adhering to the program and adhering to the treatment um, opportunities or or services that we have to offer. offer. People sometimes, um, you know, they're going through a lot of transition. They're sixteen to thirty, mm-hmm. so think about all kind of the life things that are happening at that time. Um, and how disruptive these symptoms can be to just that normal development. So understanding the illness is is a huge uh, barrier sometimes. Um, Motivation to come, the motivation in this illness is already a set of a symptom, you know, and then adding to, um, you know, having to go to appointments or having to go to uh, doctor's visits um, is certainly hard to maintain motivation when that is essentially part of the illness. Um, Often, yeah, transitioning to adulthood is difficult for people even without mental illness. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, right. That's a good point. That's a really good point. I mean, developmentally, there's a lot of challenges, and then you have this type of illness on top of that. Mm So I could see that that would be a challenge to kind of continue on with that uh, treatment when you're just dealing with day-to-day life. Definitely. Right. I think some of the other challenges are the paranoia that we talk about, so ability to trust other people. So we are providers coming into your life and your world and being able to share uh, openly with, with the people on your treatment team. Although it's very important, people may not understand the the really kind of critical need for that. So often symptoms um, isolate you from the people that are trying to help because you're not able to trust them um, or not able to, uh, yeah, kind of allow them into what you see and what you hear. Okay, okay. Um, I think one piece I just want to highlight, and I know we'll talk a little bit more in the in the last segment about the on-track program, but support for families. I think as a parent um, watching your child kind of struggling through this, um, I'm sure that we'll, we'll get into it a little bit on uh, as we talk in the next segment, but I would think that the support for the family as well as the treatment for the, the individual with, with the mental illness is just as important because they need to be that safety support for them. The family is critical in managing um, this illness. The family is living day in, sometimes and day out, with with the signs and symptoms and the things that are happening for this in, for the individuals. Uh, they're primary caretakers of the individual for the most part um, at early onset. So there is the family support that was mentioned earlier. The NAMI um, organization is really wonderful for families, and they help increase education and the support. You can meet other family members. That that have children or family members that also are suffering from this illness. And it's a great resource to help families not feel alone. Um, and I think that that can be a really uh, helpful um, yeah, tool for families to help them work with their the, their loved one. Yeah. And the NAMI website, which is NAMI.org, is a great resource for families, not only for just information. They have a ton of information on just the signs and symptoms of various types of mental illness, but also how to connect 
connect to support in your own community. There are a lot of amazing support groups for families so that you don't feel alone and that you also learn from each other on maybe how to manage uh, the symptoms and the, and the challenges uh, maybe in your home with especially a young adult who's, who's starting sure. with this onset of this disease. And, and really that support is, is so important for not only the individual being treated, but the family is, is something we've talked about through a lot of the different conversations on the show over the last few weeks about the, that surrounding support for that person, but the support for those that are loving them and caring for them um, is really, really critical. So we would encourage you to please uh, reach out to those types of websites to, to learn a little bit more. Um, if you think that your loved one is dealing with schizophrenia or any type of mental illness, again, the National Alliance on Mental Illness is www.nami.org. And we mentioned earlier as well that the mentalhealth.gov is a website that you can find uh, resources in your own community uh, for treatment around mental health as well as substance abuse. So you could check out that website, which is mentalhealth.gov. Um, we are heading into break. So thank you for tuning in so far to the Journey Stories of Crisis and Hope. Please stay tuned. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. We are bombarded daily with information about beauty products and anti-aging treatments. Do you know how they have been tested? Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show & Tell with host Shelly Hancock. We'll bring you the top-rated skincare products and treatments tested by Real Transformation Skin Care Centers. We'll motivate you to make the best changes. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Transformational healing includes energy medicine as well as hands-on healing. Tune in every week to Transformational Healing with Dr. Bonnie Morrow. If you want to know more about the business and science of energy fields, chakras, and the medical and spiritual community, join our expert guests as we work together to bring you closer to your personal health vision. Transformational Healing is heard live every Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. are listening to The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments about the show. Please send an email to jpirrovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That's J-P-I-R-R-O, voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to The Journey. Here again is Jessica Pirro. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you again for joining us today. We are talking about schizophrenia, and we've had two rich segments talking about the signs and symptoms, um, treatment that's available, um, support for families. Um, So this next segment, we're going to really focus on a real cutting-edge program uh, that Jill runs here uh, locally in Buffalo, New York, uh, through the Lakeshore Behavioral Health uh, Organization, and it's called On Track. Um, So, Jill, I want to really talk a 
about OnTrack because it really is a, a very, I mean, use cutting edge again, but it really is a cutting edge program. Uh, it's a federally funded program, um, and we're excited that we have it here mm-hmm. locally. So can you talk a little bit about the history of OnTrack and, and how it's funded? Sure. So really with the treatment options that I spoke about at the last segment, they have learned that early intervention and early detection with people with schizophrenia is really critical. And uh, so a lot of research projects started um, talking about early intervention. We call it FEP programs. Um, And so just to give some data and some information about FEP programs, in 2008, there were only two states in the nation that had FEP programs. Programs. Fast forward to 2016, we have 32 states wow. that have FEP programs in about 103 different clinics uh, throughout the nation. Um, so this is a new, uh, as, as Jessica said, a new cutting edge uh, concept, and really it makes sense. Uh, if you identify these individuals early on um, in their experiences with symptoms, we're able to change the entire trajectory of schizophrenia and our research and our outcomes are really supporting us in that endeavor. We are a federally funded program. We are supported by the Office of Mental Health, um, where we receive most of our funding, all of our funding. Um, And we're a research-based project. So essentially, we're providing constant communication with OMH to talk about what is working in our programs and really um, offering this to be kind of a long-term permanent solution to addressing schizophrenia. Uh, We're a five-year funded program, so we will be around. Um, We uh, started in June of 2015, so we're coming up on our first year anniversary, um, which will be really great, and we are almost at capacity, Um, and capacity for us is uh, 35, uh, working with 35 individuals and their family, and we are about 28 at this current time, Uh, and the reason why the program is intentionally small is because we consider ourselves an intensive program. Uh, We want each individual counselor to be able to work for as long as possible um, with the individuals in the program, Um, meaning they can come in for twice a week visits, they can do family uh, orientation work, Um, our psychiatry visits are not like the traditional psychiatry visits, they are long and intensive and um, really try to work with the individuals, so we have a lot of flexibility in our intensive program. So I know you mentioned um, you have about you said about twenty mm-hmm, clients yeah. currently. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is the age range uh, that you're seeing right now with that, and, and sure. who you're serving? Our, our age range that we are currently seeing at, and through our, our program, we are able to see anybody from the ages of 16 to age 30. Uh, and those individuals just have to be experiencing psychosis greater than one week and less than two years. So it really captures that early onset um, of symptoms for that early intervention treatment. Um, our individuals, as I mentioned earlier, we do tend to have a lot more male individuals than female individuals. Um, and we have 28 people currently. Great, great. So what are the goals of the program or Mm -hmm. kind of the philosophy as Mm -hmm. well? Because it is a very intense, specific Mm -hmm. type of program. Uh, So can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yes, our philosophies of the program are really um, embarking in kind of a new way of thinking about recovery. Um, the way that we think about it is shared decision making and shared decision making really is talking with a family, talking with the individual that has the mental illness and coming up with a treatment plan together. Um, so very personalized. Um, I think something that's unique to our program is that we are available to families 24 um, seven. We have our own crisis line. We have have an on-call um, availability to our families. And I think that our philosophy is really treating the entire family as a unit. Uh, we, you know, meet with the families privately. We meet with the families with the individuals in our program. We can go to the individual's home where sometimes it's more comforting um, and more safe. So we have a lot of flexibility on how we do that. And I think our main philosophy, philosophy is availability, uh, flexibility, and just being able to serve that entire family. Some of the philosophies of the OnTrack program are low doses of medication, um, um, so least side effects, least damaging uh, cardiometabolically, least damaging, you know, overall when it comes to weight and, and just general side effects. Um, and again, main um, components of the OnTrack program are engagement, doing whatever you can to engage these youth. Um, if it's playing basketball with them, going bowling, you know, it could be um, inviting them for lunch or coffee or going to their home, finding out what their hobbies are. So engagement is really a huge piece of, of the on-track program, um, which often these individuals stop going to traditional outpatient treatment um, because they're not motivated. So we take that on as a team that if you don't come to your appointment, we will just come to you. And oh, I feel wow. like that's been okay. really helpful for our, our, our youth. Um, so, you know, if somebody this is an appointment. We're on the phone and we're calling them and saying, you know, we will come to your um, house or where do you want to meet? We'll meet with you uh, wherever you're comfortable. And I think that that's been a great um, philosophy for our families that they know that we're there for them. That's great. That's great. It's very client centered, <laughs> if you will. It's yeah. very, it really, um, you're going to them and meeting mm -hmm. them where they're at, which is so important, uh, especially for some challenging times. And and I appreciate that the the program also provides that 24-hour support mm -hmm. because, you know, crisis doesn't happen just between 9 to 5. I mean, that's kind of our running joke at a lot of crisis centers, but that being able to access the staff that they know mm -hmm. and to be able to talk to those that they know at any time 24-7, I think is such a great, uh, real holistic approach mm -hmm. to the type of program uh, that the OnTrack program provides. So what is some early data in, that you're seeing in the, you mentioned it is a research mm -hmm. uh, pr uh, program. So what is the early data that you're seeing and what is it showing so far? I think our early data is showing that we're really able to engage people in treatment. So people who have um, failed outpatient attempts likely do not have that same outcome in our program because, again, we're able to be flexible and meet them where they're at. So our engagement um, is very high. Our employment retention and our work involvement is also very high. We have 13 people currently working. We have three in college and three that have have been referred to Access VR for additional supports. Um, so our employment and education is strong, which is a really great um, outcome. And uh, as I said, you know, before the inpatient hospitalizations, we're not using them as often, which is certainly a good goal. It's a good goal for the individual. We want their families to feel that they can reach out to us and come up with a plan with uh, again somebody that they know um, to avoid those unnecessary hospitalizations or those ER visits um, where an individual. 
individual maybe is experiencing an increase of symptoms and they can call us and they can come up with a plan and often we'll go to them the following next day. They can see our psychiatrist when the next psychiatry day is. Um, we can adjust medication. So it's they can avoid those unnecessary um, hospitalizations, which I think has been really helpful. Um, and certainly that's what our data is showing. We're we're keeping people out of the hospital, out of the ER. We're helping people manage their medical needs, um, seeing primary doctors, going to the dentist, those types of medical needs. Um, and off, and our, our employment rates, I think, are very strong at this point. That's great. That's so great to see. So we talked a little bit in the last segment about the family and um, really that support for the family to be able to help their loved one and, and not only supporting their loved one, but getting that, that guidance and, and just... Um, kind of reassurance that they're doing the right thing mm-hmm. on behalf of their family members. So, um, you know, what is the family's role in in the model of On Track and what, what input do they have um, as part of that planning? We invite our families to the psychiatry visits at admission. They are invited as long as the, their loved one um, agrees to it. They are invited to any session that they uh, choose to join in. Um, sometimes they are requesting that they meet with their the counselor um, separately without the individual if they have specific concerns or questions. Um, so we're really available um, as their provider as well. Um, we do have a support group that is offered to our family members. So any family member, it could be a parent, it could be an aunt, a grandmother, uh, we offer that ongoing support. At those meetings, we offer education. We offer um, the ability to um, help them understand um, what's going on for their individual, maybe how to uh, support them, how to, um, yeah, maybe just how to encourage them to do the things that they want them to do, kind of getting on the same page with goals. Um, Something that we offer our families too, as I mentioned earlier, is just that 24-hour, seven days a week availability, which our um, families use for all sorts of purposes. If it's questions about medications or side effects, our doctor is available and on call, um, and he's willing to accept any call from a family member member, um, which I think allows them to feel that they have a safety net and a support team around them. And I think, you know, for a lot of times, families, uh, if it's parents uh, or, you know, significant others in the family, um, a lot of times they try to uh, protect their loved one who maybe is struggling with mental illness. Um, They take a lot of ownership in trying to care for them. And that can be really challenging and exhausting for families. So the fact that the program really takes into account the entire family as as almost as your client, not just the individual diagnosed with schizophrenia, um, really provides a nice support for family members so that um, they get what they need to be able to help their loved one. And I think that that's a real wonderful model that a lot of times parents are just struggling with what to do, maybe trying to protect their, their kid from from judgment of other people. It's, it just can be really exhausting, I would think, for parents. So, I, I mean, I'm sure parents are probably um, giving you a lot of feedback of the support that you're providing to them that might have been different before they started the on-track program. Definitely, Jessica. I think often our feedback from our family members are they feel as if um, someone is there with them. Someone is helping them with their self-care and their ability to understand what's happening. Uh, so our families so far have said it's it feels great to be included in the care and it feels great to have this open availability for the, for the team members. Um, and really, they can get all their services under one roof. We have a nurse that can do medication 
education, wellness, um, healthy living, the psychiatrist, our employment specialists, the counselors. There are so many people on the team, um, although a small team, there's a lot of people that they could talk to about specific needs um, and we're all under the same roof and I feel as if our families are so appreciative of that and have often shared that they did not have those experiences um, if they um, have seen different providers that they don't feel as included as they do in the on-track program. Great. And you had mentioned earlier how this program has, uh, these these services have really expanded throughout mm-hmm. the country. And there is a website that people can go to to find out of, of this type of program exists in their state. And that's practiceinnovations.org. Is that correct? Yes. So you can... Um, go to practiceinnovations.org and you're able to find out uh, where in your state these services are available. Um, As you mentioned earlier, it's 32 states, I believe, that Mm -hmm. have uh, these types of uh, very uh, cutting-edge programs to treat schizophrenia. So I think that's a a wonderful resource for you to look uh, look at and check at uh, to help your loved ones. So, Jill, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. We covered a ton of information and um, people can find uh, more uh, about Lakeshore. They can Google Google Lakeshore Behavioral Health Buffalo, and they'll be able to find your website. Also, I just want to remind everyone that there's the NAMI.org and mentalhealth.gov are two other great resources for you to help uh, connect with services as well as find out more information and help somebody that you love. So I want to thank everybody for uh, joining us today. Uh, You can join me every week Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And if you have any questions or comments, you can also email me at jpirovoiceamerica at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in today and do your part this week to provide hope to others. Thank you for tuning in to The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. Please join your host, Jessica Pirro, for another edition of the program next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll see you here next week.